This morning we're, we're coming to a book in the Bible that kind of diverts from the, the normative of, of what the prophetic books have been looking like. Uh, we're, we're shifting back to a narrative, a story. It's, it's not really a lesson taught through poetry. It's not instruction or informative. It's very narrative in nature. And I love narrative when we come to the scripture. Jesus Christ himself used narrative often in his teaching. There's, there's key characters that we look at. There's lessons that, that we learn from, whether through example or contrast. And, and so as we come to this narrative today, um, there's some lessons we're going to learn. When, when we come to Jonah's narrative, it, it is historical, and the fact that it did occur, the things we're looking at today are real. However, it's, it's still a part of the minor prophets. It's not part of the historical books. And I'm getting a, a great feedback, feedback up here. I'm not sure if you guys are hearing that, but... Um, as we look at this, it's prophetic in the sense that God is delivering a message. There it is. Did you hear that? Or am I just hearing things? Okay. All right. So we are hearing that. Oh, I mean, I have a deep voice, but not that deep, you know? All right. We'll, we'll figure it out. Maybe I should just move here. Will that help? Testing. One. Oh. Don't stand there. All right. Good. <laughs> I like it. All right. So as, as we dive into this narrative, there is a message that God is delivering, and he's delivering it really to Jonah and Israel. But there's also a message that we're going to see delivered to a city called Nineveh. Now, this narrative story takes on a, an approach of satire. Satire is, is really exciting. In fact, when, when I came to this book, I'm like, yes! This is a fun book to preach through. Okay, And I really wish I even had several weeks because it is, it's humorous. It's humorous in many ways, but satire is that use of humor or irony, and we're definitely going to see that, um, exaggeration, ridicule that exposes, I want you to recognize, exposes and criticizes people's stupidity. You're like, <gasps> is a pastor allowed to say stupid? <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. Because sometimes people do stupid things. Sometimes Christians do stupid things. And we are going to see some stupidity as we look at this narrative today. The narrative of, of Jonah really demonstrates a unique irony as, as God ridicules Jonah and Israel. I don't know what that is. Oh. We'll get through. 
also exposes the hearts of Jonah and Israel. It's not fun when our hearts are exposed, is it? And God has a way of, of doing that, and he uses this somewhat humorous narrative that we're going to be looking at for us to have some very applicable life application. My prayer this morning is that you will take time not to look at each other, not even necessarily look at Jonah, but reflect back on yourself. This book has message that he sometimes is sending through you. He's concerned with your heart. Once you get that in order, then he will use you other ways. So this morning as we look, we're going to be looking in a mirror, so to, so to speak. We're going to be looking in a mirror, and today's message is for us. Jonah's message, the book of Jonah, will reflect greatly on us. It will reflect greatly on the nation of Israel. We're going to see some things through this, and it's going to be a difficult mirror. And I encourage you to keep your eyes open, even if you don't like what you see. Because it's hard. The book of Jonah is best understood when we read it in its entirety, and I wish I could do that this morning for you. It's a little longer than Obadiah is. It's approximately 10 minutes to read through, and I, I hope that you will take 10 minutes this next week to read through this book. There's a greater understanding when you do, but for right now, I want us to, to look at it in an overview and reflect on its implications for your life and mine. As, as we reflect on this narrative, there is a story here, and stories are best told with pictures. I like stories with pictures. And we have some pictures up here to kind of explain the process and the path of this narrative as we look at the book of Jonah. In chapter 1, God calls Jonah to a work. Jonah is the prophet of God, and God is calling him, and God gets the first words in this book. I like that. And the first words that God gives is a command. As the book opens up, we see God give a very direct command to Jonah. Look at what he says. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Get up. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it. I have seen how wicked its people are. That is the command. Get up, go. Truth be told, I think for some of us, 
we need to hear that very same command. Get up. Do something. Go. As, as the narrative goes on, Jonah is not too thrilled with God's plan or command. I'm not sure if you've ever seen God's command in Scripture for your life and just not been too thrilled about that. You're like, God, that command stinks. I don't want to do it. That's uncomfortable. That's where Jonah was, and Jonah had this great idea. You want me to go this way, God, I'm going to go this way. And he goes the opposite direction. Nineveh is only a 500-mile trip from Jerusalem. Now, back in those days, that was still a good trip. But he chose to go to Tarshish, 2,000 miles away. In fact, Tarshish at that time <clears throat> was considered the edge of the earth. You could go no further than Tarshish, and he decides to run away from God. How many of you think that's just silly? The rest of you will see that it's silly. Okay, you can't run from God. And as he's running from God, he gets on this ship. He goes, he even tells the sailors, I'm running away from God. He gets on the ship and God sends a storm. Isn't it pathetic when weather listens to God better than you and I? And we know how well we control weather. The storm obeys. the storm comes, the sailors are scared for their life, and Jonah, through a series of events, is thrown overboard by his request. He knows where the storm has come from. Jonah is thrown into the waters, and the storm stops instantly. Do you know what that causes those sailors to do? sailors were awestruck. That's that awesome God thing. We have lost what awesome means. But they were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Pagan sailors, they see God and they sacrifice, they worship him. But, well, Jonah... He's in the water. God causes a great fish to come. <laughs> That's right, a fish obeyed God too. Jonah's in there for three days, and I love how Scripture states it. He's in there for three days, three nights. Then he prays. This is one stubborn individual. I will tell you this right now. If a big fish was coming to swallow me, I would pray before that's just my take on life, okay? But he's in there for three days. Then he prays. We see the stubbornness of this man of God. Remember, this is a mirror. This is a reflection. Be careful before you start shaking your finger at Jonah. You may be looking in a mirror. Jonah prays a powerful prayer. After the prayer, the fish spits him out. On the shore, 
And then it says, Jonah decides to obey God. And he goes to Nineveh. In chapter 3, we see something amazing occur. Jonah preaches, no, Nineveh believes the message he preaches, and repents. We're going to look at that in just a little bit. Man, I tell you what, I don't get it as a, as a pastor, as a preacher. But they believe, they repent. In chapter 4, guess what? Jonah sulks. He's angry with God. How dare you, God? But once again, God gets the final word. But this time, instead of closing with a command like he opened up, God ends with a question. That's how the book ends. It ends with a question. A question that should spark reflection as we look, as we answer it, as we look at our life, and how is this going to play out in my life? The key characters in this book are interesting. There's Jonah, he's the messenger, and we definitely get a good look at his life. I, I believe firmly that he's also the author of this prophetic book. It's interesting, as the author, God still gets the first and last word, but God uses him. Israel is the audience, not spoken of here, but definitely the audience for this book. Unseen character, but very important. Nineveh and the sailors, they're the pagans. They're the ones who don't follow God. They're the ones that we shake our heads and go... They're the ones that bring shock in how they respond. And we even get to look at some creatures for you animal folks out there. We have a fish, we have a worm. And these are the characters in this book, but ultimately, and here's what we need to see, church, we see God he serves as the key figure in this narrative, the one that is working, and we see his heart. Not just for Jonah. Not just for his chosen people, Israel. We see his heart for mankind. As we look at this book, and I hope by the end of this morning you will see his heart his desire for you. As we observe the irony of this book as it unfolds and, and consider the obedience and disobedience, there's some startling things we see. Let's look at the irony of obedience. First of all, I want to look at Jonah and Israel. We've been talking a lot about Israel lately. We've been seeing Israel and the prophets and all of that. And it's interesting that uh, Jonah and Israel are going to reflect on God's message in this prophetic book. They're going to look, they're going to reflect on it. It's interesting, we have a man of God 
a prophet. And there are certain expectations we have of a man of God, do we not? I used to be frustrated with the idea that as a pastor, people would have different expectations, higher expectations of me because of just being a pastor, right? Well, you should. Because God does. He holds me to a higher level of accountability. He holds these prophets to a higher level of accountability. So you should expect more of this man. And God expresses His will to these prophets, and they are to deliver His message, His words to the people, right? But it's interesting... Jonah's life is really not an example you want to follow. When we look at Jonah, don't think, oh, this is narrative, I need to be Jonah. No, you don't. You shouldn't. Sometimes we do, but you shouldn't. As any Hebrew would read this narrative of this prophet, they would quickly see that God was speaking to a nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And maybe, maybe if they remembered their teaching, their scriptures, their mind would go back to Exodus. I want you to turn there briefly. Look at Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19, beginning in verse 4, says this. God is speaking to the nation of Israel, to his people, and he says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. That's quite a promise, isn't it? But listen what he says. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give the people of Israel. Speaking to Moses. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Do you know what a, the job of a priest is? An intercessor, one who, who takes man before God, who takes what God says before man. Israel was to do that as a nation. They were to be the example. They were to be the ones who were taking God to the people and the people to God as a nation, as a people. And they failed miserably. Jonah, get up. Go. But Jonah flew. Fled. Jonah, go. Go to Tarshish. Or go. No, don't go to Tarshish. Go to Nineveh. But he decides Tarshish. Look at verse 3. I mean, it, it, 
you can't get more blatant in saying no to God. But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Are you running from God? Are you trying to get away from what He has directly instructed in His Word for your life? It's a dangerous thing to do. Jonah found out. Jonah got up. But in his pride and arrogance, God, my way is better. My thinking is better. My way is more comfortable. In the opposite direction. Jonah knew Psalm 139. I'm confident of it. He knew there was nowhere you could flee from God. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But there are certain places you can go that he's going to make it really hard to be there. And he will go to great measures to bring you back. Think about the nation of Israel if they heard this. Israel, this is what I want from you. Nope. We're comfortable where we're at. This is good. We don't really want to follow you. You know, it's dangerous for the one who knows to follow God's word. And yet still disobeys. I, I hope that's not the place you're in today. But let's be honest, sometimes our own desires, well, they're a little more comfortable. But if we're going to look at the irony of obedience and look at jo uh, Jonah and Israel, let's consider for just a moment those pagan sailors in Nineveh. They don't just reflect, they respond. They see God, they see what He's doing, they see what He says, and they respond. The pagan sailors, they have a true heart of repentance as it leads them to worship. It leads them to action. And they made vows to serve Him. And goodness, even the fish obeyed God. You, you come to the people of Nineveh. You've got to understand, these are wicked people. This is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. History records for us that they were ruthless. They developed ways to torture their captives and keep them alive so the pain lasted longer. They were brutal, relentless, scary, intimidating. And they've done things to Israel that, well, weren't very nice. The 
like asking Israel right now, I want you to send someone to Hamas. Send a message to Hamas. And Jonah's going, I'm not going there. For those of you that remember 9-11, I want you to go, I want you to share a message with Osama bin Laden. That's my message for you. That's my directive for you. And it wouldn't take much, I'm sure, for some of you to think of people that you don't care for too much. That's these people. Wicked, evil. So much so that God is going to wipe them out. you got to get pretty bad. steps off of his throne. And church, I think some of us need to step off of our throne. Allow God to have that place. That's his rightful place. Step off of the throne and allow God. Something. And weather. Animals pagan people go and listen to God more than his oh. and God used his creation to expose the heart of his prophets and his people exposing the heart as well it's often found though that the outward actions the outward speech reflects greatly on the inner depths of mankind's heart. But it's God who looks at the heart. And we see God exposing Jonah's heart. Jonah ultimately exposes it himself. I mean, my goodness, 
Don't worry, these aren't up there. You don't have to show it on the screen. I just want you to hear Jonah's response. Listen. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful, compassionate, passionate God, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than a lie. What I predicted will not happen. Here is a grown man, the prophet of God, having a full-on temper tantrum. I don't care what age you are, temper tantrums are never cute. They're sure disgusting when you're a grown man. Can you imagine a preacher angry with the effectiveness of his message? It is speculated that Jonah's response from the people of Nineveh, their repentance, is the greatest response of any message ever given to this day. An entire city repenting. You want to hear his message? Five words in the Hebrew. Here it is in verse 4 of chapter 3. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Good luck. I don't even think it was given with that much heart. I think it was maybe given with, ha-ha, you're getting what you deserve. In 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. God, a preacher of God's word, more concerned with his own creature comforts. This would reflect on Jerusalem, on Israel. He was more concerned at staying back home, where it's comfortable. With pleasing an evil king, Jeroboam II was the king at that time. I'll just deliver a good word to him. Don't want to ruffle his feathers. That's right. God wouldn't use Jonah to speak to Jeroboam. He used Amos. God was going to use Jonah to show the heart of this people. He 
I'm more concerned about being shaded in the sun. His plant that grew overnight for him. A nice little worm that he chewed up. Jonah wanted God, I think, maybe. Israel wanted God, well, maybe. Well, they wanted the title of being God's people, right? Because that's comfortable, that's cool. I mean, we're God's chosen. Yeah, yeah. Look at us, we're cool. It's sickening when people want a title without the responsibility. Ephesians talks about that for us. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, God saved you by His grace. Hear that, church. By His grace. And you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. You didn't earn it. So none of us can boast about it. But we are God's he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Here it is. Listen. So we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. God has a plan and a purpose for each of us as His child. He didn't just save you for fire insurance. He saved you for a purpose. He has a work that He wants you and I to do. Yet we become lazy. We become more concerned about our own creature comforts. Making sure the temperature in the sanctuary is just the right temperature so we're not too hot, not too cold. We want comfortable chairs to sit in. We want to make sure the service times are just where we want them so it fits our schedule. Because my goodness, we're busy. In church... The disgusting thing is, just like Jonah, just like Israel, sometimes we are more concerned about a plant than we are for lobster. We get more emotional about things that don't matter than those who are going to spend an eternity in hell. I was challenged by an article. I've shared this before, but I want to read it again. Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller. You know him as a magician. Gillette says this. I've always said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all, he says. If you believe there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's really worth telling them this because, or that it's not really worth telling them this because, well, it would make it socially awkward. By the way, Penn Gillette is an outspoken atheist. Listen to his next words. He goes, How much? You have to hate somebody not to proselytize. 
How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? we see a God of compassion, love, grace, and mercy who longs for people to come to Him. What is more important in your life? God wanted Jonah to look at him. God wanted Israel to look at him. He prayed for Nineveh to look at him, those pagan sailors to look at him. The book of Jonah gives a vivid, vivid illustration of God's compassion and how he delivers. That's our God. God is doing the work here. God delivers the sailors. Did you see that? It was God who did it. God delivered Jonah from the sea. Jonah probably didn't care for it too much. I mean, being in the sight of a fish isn't fun, but, you know, coming back to God isn't always fun. Jonah's grateful for it, but we don't see a repentant heart. We really don't. We don't see that heart in, in Jonah. In fact, in Jonah, we almost see that, that he's asking God for salvation based off of merit. Expectation. Oh, the danger if we come and think that we deserve salvation. We see a national pride and arrogance with this man, Jonah. He holds closer to his ties of being an Israelite and cares more about that than anything else. He definitely doesn't care about Nineveh. God's not impressed. But God, oh, did you see how God delivered Nineveh? Did you see their hearts? They knew. Their salvation was not based on man. They knew that their salvation could only, only be through the grace and mercy of God. Newsflash. It's the only way it's available to anyone. Jonah was grateful for his own deliverance, but desired none for his enemies.
I know my heart. I've looked in the mirror. I need grace. I need mercy. I need compassion. Look at the final dialogue between God and Jonah. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? In the narrative, you see God sends a worm to kill the plant. Jonah's answer, yes. Jonah responded, retorted, even angry enough to die. Oh, my word. Really? Get over yourself, Jonah. How hard it must have been for Jonah to write this going, ooh, I really didn't look that Then the Lord said, God gets the last word. You feel sorry about a plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in its in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Aren't you glad God cares about them too? The people, the animals, God's going, look! Look, Jonah! Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great sin? Shouldn't I have compassion on such a people, a city as this? Well, the answer is, yes, God does have compassion. And the answer is, you and I need the same compassion for people. Every time Israel would read the words written by Jonah, they would have to take a long, long, hard look in the mirror. They would have to reflect on several things. First of all, you can't run from God. Try as you may, you cannot run from God. Number two, you can use, God can use whatever he pleases to get your attention. So if you think, well, I got rid of that, he can't use that, he's going to use something else. He's going to use someone else, something. But he will get your attention. Number three, our sin and failure, and some of you need to hear this, our sin and failure does not mean God can't or won't use us. your homes, 
neighborhoods, friends, acquaintances that need Jesus. They need that message. It's high time we stop hating people and loving them and sharing the truth of what Jesus Christ has done. Especially not love people to help. Just love them enough to care. God. Look at Jonah, a reflective book. God, sometimes we have to look in the mirror at the excuses some of us are not honest enough with ourselves to give this excuse to But God, we have our own excuses. I pray that you would you would move us. God, I pray that you would shake us up. That we 